Welcome to the Take A Seat Podcast. This podcast brings awareness to disability sports and supports. We are talking to experts and athletes with a disability from around the world. Before we get stuck into this episode, we want to say a massive thank you to our sponsor, the Suncoast Spinners. The Suncoast Spinners are a social wheelchair-based sporting club. They operate multiple programs for people of all ages and abilities in basketball, rugby, and more. Follow Suncoast Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, and find out more about them at suncoastspinners.com.au. Cam, we're back. Episode 13. And 13. I think it's been, my it's, lucky number. It's been a while since we've been in here, and I'm stoked to be back. I was actually driving along here today, and I threw my hands off the wheel, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah double was, hand fist pump oh, and everything. Yeah. I was stoked. Today's episode, who have we got in? So today we got Sarah Rose in today. Sarah Rose. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, TV presenter? Oh, yeah, has been on TV, but Paralympian. The thing that I really want to get her on for is the Paralympic Commission. So she's mm. a part of the Athletes Paralympic Commission. I, I'm really excited to hear about that. And recent children's book author. There you go. Yeah. I'll have to ask if it's on if it's on the iBook. Well Well, it's about your reading level. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Well, Sarah, we'd like to welcome you to take a seat with us on the Take Seat Project. Thank you so much for having me, Let's. No worries at all. Well, where do we want to start, Kim? There was some great points in there. Let's start with the ch- children's book because that's that's what I'm most interested in. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of writing a children's book and it's just with some publishing houses at the moment. And what it is, it's an ABC children's book and it, it speaks about disability and it's also got tips and tricks for parents because disability, it's a tough one. If you're a child that is not surrounded by anyone with a disability, if you then are seeing people with a disability and we're seeing people with disability more in the media, even when you're walking around the streets and all of that, if you don't know how to approach it, um, you don't know how to react. So this book hopefully will help parents have those conversations at a really young age and through beautiful illustrations. So I really hope that it can help educate children and parents, actually. That sounds like an amazing that tool, amazing resource. That sound for, like a great tool. Yeah. For parents, people with a disability, yeah. I mean, that tackles so many greater social issues. Yeah, people's perceptions of, of, of children with disability, growing up as a child with a disability themselves, parents not knowing how to, or things to do, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, like the confusion. I can't Even, imagine. Like we, We've talked about it before on a couple of episodes where someone sees someone in a wheelchair and goes, oh, if you, you know, if you have a crash in a car accident, you'll end up like that. That's not yeah. the type of stuff yeah. that we want to be the answer. Yes, uh, yes. Generally, it, it probably is the reason that they're in that wheelchair, but not using it as a scare tactic for children and giving parents that option as to, you know, they've read that book and they understand, okay, yeah, that's probably the way that I can answer that question for them and give them a bit more of an understanding themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. And it's also a tricky one for parents because they don't want to offend me or whoever that, that they have seen. They don't, so quite often they'll kind of shut their kids up because they want to diffuse a situation, but then it's really not educating the child and the child's just going to do it again next time they see someone with a disability. Or as you said, it's those scare tactics. It's not educating the children. So it, it is a tricky one, but I think with having, starting a conversation at a really early age and just seeing that like difference normal, like who cares, your race, your disability, your um your thought patterns, like society thrives off all these differences. And I, I truly believe that it needs to be embraced from an early age. 
and then it's just normal for kids. Like I'm like I, if I rock up to my kids' daycare, I've got two children. If I rock up to my kids' daycare, I'm now a nobody, which is cool. That's what you mm. want. Whereas when my daughter first started, it was just like they couldn't believe it. You know, like it was uh, there's the shock value every single time I, I walked in. But now they're all educated. They understand differences. They then move on when they see someone else that's different. They're educated. They they Absolutely. understand. Well, they ask fantastic questions. So I really hope this book helps helps young kids and adults alike. What was the title? What would we be looking um, at? ABC for? Disability. ABC Disability. Nice. All right. Well, the the thing that I want to ask as well is. What made you write the book? Was there a particular thing? Was it your children with a disability, not with a disability, being raised with a mother with a disability, dad without? Like, was there a particular thing that made you go, yeah, that's exactly why I want to write that book and why I want to get that message across? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm short statured. My partner's tall and my parents are tall. Like, I don't, there's no other short statured people in my family. And I wanted to write this book for my kids, but really for my kids' friends because it's so normal to my kids, like, you know what I mean? But to my kids' friends as an educational toolkit, well, not necessarily for them, but people that are their age because my mates, most of them don't have a disability. They love that I'm their mate because it's like this is really cool. My kids are seeing that different is just normal because, you know, they see me all the time. It's not nothing special. But this is really I wanted to educate the broader community and particularly for people that might not be that exposed to, to disability because you don't want that shock value. No one with a disability wants that every single time that you leave your house. Like that is draining and that's hard work. And when we're not, yes, we are seeing people with a disability in the media, but if you look at people without a disability featuring in media, it's a very, very small percentage. If you were to look in advertising campaigns, if you were to look into books, book characters yes it's becoming more often now but it's not it hasn't been that predominant so I really wanted a book that could start at that very young age for people to be educated but yeah it definitely my kids it was a huge inspiration behind it that resonates so well with me that the the fact that you your, your target audience isn't isn't your children, isn't those with a disability, but those without a disability that are around those with a disability or may not have any interaction at all. To broaden their perspectives through this this manner of a, of a children's book, I think is sensational. So kudos to you. Like, really well done. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. Literally, yeah. And it, and it lines with us really well. That's what we're trying to do. As as we said, we neither of us have a disability, but we are targeting that, that group of people that aren't directly influenced by it aren't around it aren't involved in it but our medium and our friends we're trying to show that hey ask a question the right way get to know people yeah. the right way read books about it and me personally having two young girls i can't wait one of my daughters absolutely loves reading like lo- reads like crazy so even getting in a school curriculum that would be I think that would be unreal where you could get it on one of those school curriculum uh, platforms or something and, and they can read from all kids that go through. That would be awesome. Okay. So in the interest of time, IPC, how did you get involved in the International Paralympic Committee? Okay. So I watched the Paralympics, so the Sydney Paralympics and Olympics, um, and I was my primary school had a swimming pool and I'd always loved swimming. I just didn't think it was possible to be an athlete. Because I was like, I was a really good swimmer in squads, but like, of course I wasn't winning. And I was like, I just loved it so much. So when I watched the games in person and saw people like me, I was, I had this thought, like, I want to be competing. 
I want to be there. So I was, I just trained super hard and found a squad and then um, had brilliant coaches and everything. So that's, that's how my involvement in swimming, when I did retire, it felt like a breakup, like from being so, swimming so much, putting everything into it and then having no involvement. So for me, this was a really special way of giving back and to still being involved in the community. And I really want to help up and coming athletes and also athletes that are established athletes to ensure that there's a voice between the Australian Paralympics Australia and the athletes or the athletes and the International um, Paralympic Committee. So it was in 2017 after I'd retired and I, and I really wanted to still be a part of this really special movement. So we're going to jump into the hard cards. Yeah, it's the hard cards. <laughs> Imagine us with a, with a uh, what do they call it, a lasso there? People that have listened to the podcast before will know the hard cards, and they've probably heard me say this a thousand times over. The hard cards are a deck of cards where we've written some difficult questions on the back. They aren't hard to answer or the fact that they make you vulnerable. You can be as vulnerable as you want to be. They're questions that we've gained from the internet, from James and myself, and also from our followers and our listeners. And what they really are is questions that sometimes are taboo to ask. They're questions that can be really difficult and shouldn't be said. And then what we do is we ask a question that then on the back end of it, you give the appropriate way that you would prefer someone to ask that question. Now, before we jump to it, I'll be honest. We have had a number of times where we've drawn out the same very question. And I think we have about 30 odd questions. So I've literally gone through and plucked them out. So there is somewhat of a, of a stitch up for you. You're not going to get the questions that have been asked before. <laughs> what card would you like as a start? So we can pick three cards in particular. What one would you like? Any number particularly or a face card? Four. Just that one? You want uh, two more? Do you give me two more yeah, different I'll ones go. or I'll pick them? You pick the next I'll two. pick them. Alrighty, we're gonna go queen. Stay away from the diamonds, mate. And okay, <laughs> and I will go. How old are your children? Almost four, so three and not one, and like he's almost one. Well, the closest I've got is a five, so yeah, I'll go five. That'll five do. Spades. That'll do. So I'll read out all three questions for you, but I'll read all three, cool. and then you decide on it, and I can reread questions and whatever else for you. Cool. Question one: Are you comfortable talking about your disability slash injury? Question two, what is the most commonly asked about you? And question three is describe the most humiliating thing you've experienced. I'll start with the third one, the one that you just described. Yep. um, Because I don't find the other two um, difficult, but like I'll talk about them all. I think the most humiliating experience is if you think of different disabilities and if you think of what type of disabilities people laugh at, you probably can't name that many, right? Like they they might make a wheelie joke or something like that, but not really. But being short-statured, people take the piss. Like if you if I'm going to jump on the internet now, I will see a shitload of memes. I'll see like so many things that are taking the piss out of people that are little, which I, which I can take, but... Every single time I am to leave the house, there's like someone taking a photo, laughing or staring. It's so I would say that is always humiliating. Like that's not something that you ever get used to when you're just going about your day. 
Sorry, so, um, so just, just leaving the house is... Just leaving the house. And, like, I'm desensitised, but it's it's not until, like, I'll have a mate with me and they'll get fired up and I'm, like, haven't even realised what's going on because you just go about your day and they're, like, they will get super fired up. And there's one thing, like, being curious and having a look and everything, but when you're laughed at, pointed at, taking the piss, that's that's really hard. every single day of your life so if you two lads think about if you were to leave where you are now and everyone laughed not everyone but just being laughed at getting taken photos of i've seen myself in photos that people have taken and then on top of that then i see my kids in those photos Mm, yeah that's hard yeah that's really hard so for me that is what it would be and like i hate attention and i don't want you don't want this type of attention. Like it's not fantastic attention, you know. I would rather be unnoticed and just be able to go about my my day without being so recognisable and so, so like everyone just turns their heads Do or you has f- a laugh, has a point, takes photos. And that's, yeah, like I said, that, that that's really hard. And it's easy, like it does become easier like where I live on the northern beaches in Sydney Everyone knows me here, so it's not that there's no shock value. Mm-hmm. And then it, that's what I mean about it comes really easy. But if I was to go to new towns and new places where they haven't seen someone that, that's different or, you know, or there's a lot of kids or whatever it may be, drunk people, it's, yeah, that is always humiliating. And um, Do you that, find that, uh, that with your, your kids it happens more commonly when they're there or not there? I haven't found any difference. I, I'm not too sure yet. Maybe like when I'm with my partner because he's tall. I don't suppose you're taking a, a notebook and recording it all either. Yeah, yeah. And then like because he's tall, my kids are tall. They're probably like my daughter's going to be taller than me soon. So maybe more, but like I worry about them. Like I don't want them to know what's going on. That's a really, really tough thing to watch. So for me, a humiliating, like it's that. I've been out just having fun with my mates. And every time there's anyone that's drunk, like it's horrific. Does you that- can, I was gonna, oh, sorry. I was going to say, we, we, I can visibly see on the screen here that you're actually emotionally, like you're almost about to tear up over it. Like it, it, it really is something that hits home for you and it is really emotionally grabbing. I, I, like I'm sure James can see the same thing that I'm seeing. It, it is hard, yeah. I mean, it was, it's one hard to listen to, let alone I, I can't imagine to, to live through that. I was going to ask, is that is that the passion that drives you to work so hard in the IPC? Yeah, I that's the passion that drives me to do what I do in terms of like writing this book, doing presenting on the ABC and working with Paralympics Australia Athletes Commission, definitely. Like that, that drives a lot of my passion. In terms of other Paralympians, obviously we're all equal and it's fantastic. These I don't need to change any perceptions with that group but yeah I definitely want to see the wider Australia community get around people with disability more see more funding in a whole range of things educational programs and and everything so yeah I that when you ask the question of what my most humiliating experience is I would just say it's that being so noticed and um not being able to like shy away like I remember when I was a kid like doing knock and run and anything all those naughty things with my mates who are average height like everyone knew where I lived so I'd always get in shit. No one else would. <laughs> like they could just run off and they're like, I know Sarah lives there. So um, yeah, it is tricky being so recognisable. And one of those disabilities, which is like 
the piss is taken out of. Like, there's not many, like I said before. You're not supposed to get caught when you do knock and run, though, right? Yeah, they got little legs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's um, even the way that you say that. Is there one really moment that someone said something or done something or one photo that you talk about in particular or something that, you know, a friend has said back? You know, I, I'm, I'm listing quite a few things here, but is there one where you've gone home and just really cried and broke down emotionally? Like it, it was a straw that really broke the camel's back. Was there one like that? We actually had an experience not that long ago at the supermarket. I was with the family and this older guy was taking photos of me. And I thought, I'm not going to jump to conclusions. And I looked back and I'm like, he's, he's 100% taking photo of, photos of me. And I said to my partner, like, and he's taking photos. He's like, no, he's not. Like, don't. And I was like, nah. And I don't usually, like, I no- normally just ignore it all. But I, um, I went because then he was turning the other way. And I went, he wasn't that tall. So I looked over his, like, I could see. And then I saw myself. I saw my kids. I saw us all on the camera. And I approached him. I was like, don't, don't take photos. Like, do not take photos. And he's like, get over yourself. I wasn't taking photos. And I'm like, look at it. And then my partner fired up because he's like, nah, not when we're all involved. Because I was like, look at this. And then he, he went, it was, it was crazy. He wanted to fight my partner. It just, it was weird. I've never had like anyone wanting to fight. They generally like, oh, I got caught. So sorry. Just never seen anyone or like, you know, but that, that was a big, it was a big scene, um, which you definitely don't want, but you just, you cannot take photos like that with kids in it. Or if you're then, your purpose is to humiliate or take the piss, that's not okay. If anyone, like it's one thing if someone's doing something funny or they're there, to get photographed, but not when you're going about your business and not when there's kids. I, d- I don't think that that's the right thing. So that, that was really hard. It's when, horrific, like, yeah. You know, mm. probably 20 photos and videos. Like, Wow. It's that, that's hard. Do you, with your husband, do you get inappropriate? He hasn't the question, mate. He hasn't, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, well, with your partner, has he had any yeah. uh, inappropriate comments towards him or yourself? Like what I'm thinking in particular is, oh, is it your brother or is it they don't see you guys together as, as a couple? Do you have that type of stuff as well or, or not necessarily? I haven't noticed too much just in terms of like everyone just knows we're together, but maybe random people, they probably, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they'd be like, how has she got him? I Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if there, there'd be a lot of questions. He's a look, good looking guy, average height. They, yeah, they probably definitely thought that. Um, but yeah, he hasn't told me of any instances happening, but yeah, it, it would have for sure. Yeah. Kind of linked on to the next question, which yeah. was what's most commonly asked about you? Like, why are you little? Like, so kids like, why are you little? Why are you a big little mummy or you're a big little mummy? Even before I was a mum, like kids, always, that's what they associated me as being a mum. I think because being like a woman, small body, but like they know, you know, absolutely. like, you're a big little mummy, why so small? Yeah, they, they'd definitely be most common questions. And adults don't really ask questions. In like, If you were to have a question from an adult or if there has been, do you think it comes from a curiosity point of view more, more times than less or is it from a judgment point of view? I think it's from a, um, if they're asking from a curiosity point of view, I think probably a lot of the questions people ask wouldn't be to me. Like they might be, say, to my friends or my boss or, It'd be other people, when it's adults asking, okay, often I do get asked, like, how do you do it? 
you know, if if I'm with people and then they're seeing what's going on, like how do you get up every day and do this? Yeah. Um, and I get they say you're so inspirational, but it's like I'm just I'm just getting up and just doing. <laughs> There's nothing inspirational yeah. about this. I'm just getting coffee. But I suppose from their perspective, if they're seeing a lot of a lot of things and looks and laughs and sniggers and things like that, but no, not just definitely um, mostly the questions from kids which is around the curiosity and they're always fine and great to answer and probably rather than ask myself but I also get that it is talking about disability is hard people don't want to offend they don't know how to approach it and particularly when you're not when you don't have a disability you feel really I know that they feel it's a touchy subject where it's not it doesn't matter if you get it wrong doesn't matter if you're trying and you accidentally say something wrong. You accidentally use the wrong terminology. None of that matters, but you're giving it a shot. You're trying to educate yourself. But, yeah, if um, I think if adults were to ask the actual individual what they want or what they need or any questions they had about disability, I'd be open to it any day of the week. It's, there's nothing that could offend me. I am going to ask a question which could come across a, as rude and, and abrupt and I'm saying this in, in a way of which will help other people on the back end of it because I had this thought coming into the episode in particular and, and knowing that we're going to interview yourself. You've already, I think, answered the question. How do you like to be your disability be announced as in person with short stature or uh, short stature, dwarfism, the actual clinical justification, um, which I can never pronounce. I've read it a thousand times. What is the appropriate way that your disability uh, said for yourself, if at all? I think like short stature, little person, person with dwarfism is fine, but I'd probably usually just say short stature or little person. Um, And then if there's no need, if there doesn't need to be a terminology, just Sarah. But, yeah, like we absolutely don't say midget. Like that is so offensive. Like when you asked, I didn't say it before, but like humiliating things. I just had this thought when you asked me about terminology, like just walking along and having someone yell out of the car midget, like at the top of their lungs, like when you're surrounded by different like people around you, like that's that's definitely humiliating. So, yeah, definitely not midget, no way. But all of those terms that you mentioned and the contemplation is the name of the actual type of dwarfism I have and that's very medical so you wouldn't usually like there's yeah there's no need to remember that, that. so you're all good mate um, well, I do but, need to because that's what I'm working is but I can I, never say so can you say that can you say that again one more time a condoplasia yep oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> straight over James's head um I am gonna lean into that though and I I want to lean into it because you said midget is offensive yeah and you may not give me the answer but why is it offensive to yourself? What 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 is it that makes you feel offended by that particular word? Because it's derogatory and when someone is using it, they know that it's derogatory. If someone's yelling out of a car, they know that that's derogatory. But in terms of the actual why, I don't have an actual reason why, but like the whole community, dwarfism community is offended by the term. Well, not, maybe not every single person, but I know a lot of like it is an offensive term. And it may be something to do with when little people couldn't get jobs a long, long time ago and they were used in circuses. I think there's some connotation between the two, but I'm not entirely sure the reason why it's offensive. But I suppose because whenever it's used, people are using it in an offensive way. If they genuinely didn't know and it would be like Sarah who had who was a mid or like if it was used in a non condescending way, but it always is. So most people definitely would know that not to use it but 
yeah, it's it's taboo and well, not taboo. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's. I was going to say the 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 way I look at it, a bit with being a, a Aboriginal with an Aboriginal ethnicity, is people always say, "Oh, you're an Abo," or those type of things. In particular, more aimed at my dad, which is yeah. fine. That's I I can First Nations people, Aboriginal, blah blah blah. And I I don't I hate saying this word, but this is the one that offends me. Um, is when they say coon. And I know that's probably going to – people listen to the episode and go, oh, that's – but when you use the word coon to an Aboriginal, that is straight derogatory. That is just rude and abrupt. And, and I would say it that way that when you change it and why I ask a question about when people say midget, it, it is very derogatory and it feels offensive. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to touch back. So there's two, two things I want to I want to quickly touch on. You said that when short-sighted people were used in circuses, I think you were very, very punctual in, in – using the word used, I have no education whatsoever on circuses or whatsoever other than the movie with Hugh Jackman, The Greatest Showman. Where does your mindset of short social people being used in circuses come from? I'm just interested to um, learn a bit more know, about if that. You look at li- if you look at literature and pictures that are really old, you will see people with dwarfism in circuses because that's like the only way they could make money. So for me, that's I've never seen anyone in a circus, but that's where um, I have seen literature. Even like if you look back at some like hieroglyphics and some of those really ancient ancient artworks and and things like that, you can see short statured people being depicted in in different circumstances. And we were used as I know like test cases during um, when the Holocaust was on testing out medication and all different things like that. So, um, yeah, for me it was learning and hearing about, like, the history of, of dwarfism and seeing how things used to take place. I, what's that Leo Leo DiCaprio movie? Uh, Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street. And yes. you'll see, like, the opening scene is someone with dwarfism getting thrown. So they still like dwarf tossing. There's still things, um, they call it midget wrestling, there's still a like there's still things out there that Even take place. Wee Man or whatever from Jackass. Like they 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 honestly he's probably when it comes across as as person with short stature, he's probably the most famous. Or Peter Dinglish with from uh, yeah. Game of Thrones. Honestly, his his performance in Game of Thrones is unbelievable. Like that's yeah. that's just straight up awesome mm-hmm. acting. He made that show in my mind. Um, nothing yeah. to do with the fact that he has a disability or whatever else or short stature. He's just a very, very, very good actor. I think that kind of caps on the question I was trying to ask. Is it like, do you say the word used because it's perceived for entertainment in a derogative sense, as opposed to what Game of Thrones was? Like in Game of Thrones, like yeah. in Wolf yeah. of Wall Street, you know, the the, the actor being literally tossed across the room in onto a like a velcro dartboard yeah. as opposed to game of thrones being a main a main actor is that where that term used is used in circuses yeah and i think like <laughs> when cam was talking about like yeah peter dinklage is like he is a phenomenal actor he's a phenomenal he is getting paid phenomenal amounts like for his skill He's getting paid no less. He's getting paid. So he has been recognised as a brilliant actor in all of all of his work and he's so sought after. And I think that's amazing when you see anyone with a disability recognised for what they do well. Yes. Um, and then when we can see people with any sort of disability playing mainstream characters as well, not just he's not playing a dwarf. And I think that's the really important thing is that, we see people with a disability not just represented because they have a disability as well, like that they're recognised for their, for their talent and their, their, their skills and what, what they can bring to the table. Absolutely. 
The Take a Seat podcast is in your ears thanks to the Suncoast Spinners. The Suncoast Spinners are a wheelchair-based sporting club. They run social inclusion programs, including but not limited to basketball and rugby. If you want to get involved with the Suncoast Spinners programs, you can just rock up at Mergen, Morayfield and Sippy Downs on Wednesdays, Fridays and Saturdays or contact them on Instagram, Facebook or their website www.suncoastspinners.com.au. The Suncoast Spinners programs are for people of all ages and abilities. They're looking for players, officials and volunteers to help with all of their programs. So make sure you check out the Suncoast Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, or on their website again, www.suncoastspinners.com.au. Now, we've asked this to a couple of uh, people in particular, and you're going to be probably the perfect person to ask from your perspective as to where you are as the athlete and players commission for the Paralympics. James and I would love to see Brisbane Olympics and Paralympics the first one ever where they compete at the same time. Mm. Not two separate events, but the same event. Do you think that is a possibility? And if we pushed hard enough from a community and a society perspective and the people that are in positions, we could make that happen. Um, I personally think that they need to remain as two separate events. Now, I think that because I think if they were combined, the Paralympics would get a little bit lost. If you think if, if we were next to, say... Michael Phelps, Ian Thorpe. Yeah, if in any of those those swimmers back in the day, if you were swimming, a, a, like if Paralympians were swimming like an event before or after, I think it would get a little bit lost, but I totally understand the thought in making it an equal playing field. Everyone would be there. But I really love the idea of it being two separate event, events. And I also think because if you've got, like, say, the 50 freestyle and you've got, say, 14 classes, it just logistically and that's just for one event i don't know how it would work totally get where you're coming from but i think i love that it's a a separate event and that sense of disability and community and sportsmanship and elite athlete and all these like host nations and 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 things i believe it it may get lost if it was separate and i just love that like we see like the london paralympics that was my last paralympics and the way that they embrace disability is huge. You've pushed that boulder for me to roll down the hill and start changing my mindset that that it doesn't need to be the same thing. It can be, it probably should be separated because it holds so much more value by itself, which I think is what you were just touching on, that it will lose that if it's incorporated between the two. I totally get it from a commercial point of view, your, your point are 100% about, yes, I totally, totally understand where you're coming from, from that commercial point of view. But yeah, I think logistically... It's just, and then if, if that's just swimming and that's one event, I just think it would be impossible. But from commercially, from money, from sponsorship, from a whole range of things, yes, I reckon the brands would probably love it and the, you know, the sponsor, the partners. But I love that it's separate. I love that it's it's a whole different community, or community is not the right word, but we've all had to overcome adversity. We've all had to. That's why we're such good athletes. I think. Because we can use our our minds in ways that um, we've had to adapt from the day we were born. Or and if people have had an injury, some sort of injury, they the way that then they can change their mindset, change the way their body operates, and that's phenomenal. Like a lot of my mates um, from the team, or and say Curtis McGrath, you guys got to have him on, absolute legend. Um, like he had, I mean, uh, he became injured from Afghanistan, and the way that 
he found sport and the way that he overcame his injury and um, double leg amp. And you get that sense comp- competing at a Paralympics. Everyone has a story. It's it's so special and I feel so honoured to have swum at three Paralympics and alongside every single athlete that has a story has overcome certain barriers and is an elite athlete. Like if we look at athletes today, elite athletes, oh, sorry, Paralympians, they're all elite athletes. You can't make it without training bloody hard. And that's that's also something that like some of these up-and-coming swimmers, they need to know how hard they have to train too. You can't just have a disability and make the Paralympics. Like what's behind it, the sacrifices, the hard work. Like I was training exactly the same as my able-bodied teammates. And, yeah, I it, it's so it's such a special movement. And I think what you guys are doing particularly now before 2032 is going to be huge. We're going to see companies want to hire people like a disability like we've never, ever seen before. Mate, companies are reaching out now that – have been a bit behind the eight ball in terms of sponsorship, partnership, wanting to employ people with a disability. It's, that's only going to increase. And I think by 2032, the whole disability landscape will be different. What, that's a goal. Yeah. What do we have to do as a society to make it happen? Do you see anything in particular that, like as you said, James and I are doing it now from our side of things, but is there something that you see will really be... I'm going to tweak that. Penny, what, penny drop moment is what's, what it, what's, the, what's the one thing that will make that social change happen? I'm biased because I've been doing a lot of media lately, but I believe we need to see more people with a disability in the media because it's so easy to turn on Netflix, turn on TV, turn on the pod, like tune into podcasts. Um, and I know why you can't see it. It's, it's verbal. So people are hearing different thoughts, diversity of thoughts. I believe we need to see a lot more people in the media with disability and like I touched on before in advertising campaigns, in books, on TV, presenting, not just talking about sport and disability. It has to be like recognised for their talent um, across the board and I think that is so important. We need to start that now. So I think we need to see a lot more people with a disability seen in the media. I also believe companies need to embrace people with a disability in employment not talking about bringing in someone with a disability who's getting paid a shitload less than what their skill that's bullshit we see that a lot if you've got a a a brilliant person with a disability that has a high skill level is bringing so much to the company they need to be paid for that unfortunately we see a lot of people with disability just taking a role and then they're doing work a lot higher a lot higher skill level and getting paid a lot less. They're not progressing. So I think companies need to recruit people with disability that aren't. They need to hit those targets. Like if there's 20% of the population with the disability, why don't companies have 20% of people with disability within their company? I don't think there'd be one company in Australia that has 20% of people with mm. a disability in their, their organisation. I think we need to see that a lot more. And I believe the same with um, Indigenous Australians. We need to hit those those targets and they need to be – and people – Indigenous people need to be recognised for their skills as well and paid the correct amount. And I think it's really important. We uh, like we just had NAIDOT week last week and we have Disability Day in December. It can't just be a conversation for those these special events. So that happen throughout the year. This needs to this conversation needs to remain throughout the whole year. But companies need to be getting on board 
um, sponsorship that needs to happen now, not just wait until 2032. If there's these incredible athletes, they need to be sponsored now and start that story now. It's going to be, not that it's going to be too late, but it's, it's a beautiful piece if you've had an athlete that's doing great work and that there could be a spot partnership or sponsorship. That's starting now. That's going to motivate and inspire other athletes. And um, so I think media, sponsorships, partnerships, all those things need to happen now. So they'd be, it'd be a combination of that, but my number one would be media. And if you think of, like, say with me, if I was a child, if you can't see people with a disability on the media, if you can't find a Barbie that's a little person or, yeah, I know there are some companies now that are getting on board or Barbie has produced a couple of dolls, but if it's really rare, you don't feel that you're part of something bigger. When you start to see yourself represented, you, you feel a part of that. So I, I, I really hope that um, companies change the way that they um, do what they do and really think, have 2032 definitely in their thoughts when they're thinking about this, but, but starting it now yeah is really important i think and i think for you guys yeah definitely starting this this podcast now and doing what you're doing is great and it'll just be on the rise hopefully hopefully hopefully, that's yeah. crossed. hopefully we can keep sharing the message and i think it's a good point and i actually really love that neither of you have a disability i actually really love that and it shows that that you're interested that you want to see change that your background's a social worker and exercise physiologist like how relevant to people with a disability I don't think there needs to be a person with a disability in this podcast or like, yeah, you're speaking to guests with a disability, but I think companies, like there's no need, the board doesn't have, yes, definitely have some people with a disability 100%, but just say the found, like everything that we do, it doesn't, if people want to make that change, they don't have to be the person with a disability and we don't want to be the ones having to fight for this. It is, we'd call this an allyship. I think it's amazing. I think you have every right to be doing what you're doing and you absolutely don't have to to have a disability and we see a lot of these like say dylan alcott's talent advisor manager he doesn't have a disability like we it's fantastic that there's a lot of people out there that are taught having this discussion and also making business decisions as well because it's big business if it's done right it is big business absolutely particularly the more that we get into 2032 so i believe yeah absolutely yeah. spot on don't have you're not the only person that that we've had on as a guest that has said no we don't need that Maybe it's just in our mind. Maybe it's some of the mindset that we have, but we, we, we've definitely gone over that and over that. And at, at the same time, we don't want it where it's the person's just given the role because they have a disability that yeah. even in general media or anything, that's not that's not what our vision is at all. Yeah. So if we did that, then we, we go directly down that route of exactly what we're trying to get away from by just giving that role because of the person being that person or that person with a disability, should I rephrase that, rather than they, they deserve the spot. Um, is there anything that really grinds gears or topics or I know we've, we've talked about a lot of things today, but is there one thing or a couple of things that you want to smash out of the park before we finish up today? Just have people with a disability in your thoughts when you're making decisions. Forethought, um, not an afterthought, pretty, yeah. Yeah, like have, them in, have us in your thoughts when you're making those decisions. Call people in, like, for consultation. Hey, we're building this or whatever it may be. Um, what do you think about this? And and that will suit everyone. When your children are older, where yeah. would you like to see Australia as a society but then the globe or the world as a, as a society in regards to inclusion, adaptability, disability? Where would you like to see the world be 
when your children are of your age? I would like my children to, for disability to be more normalised. So like I said, all those things about media and not to be like, wow, because we're not on the media a lot. I'd rather, I'd like to see it just part of everyday life, really normalised. Love to see members of parliament with a disability, decision makers with a disability. I would like to see uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders represented more. I would like to see all of these things the norm um, and those minority groups to stop having to fight. We're lucky as Paralympians, but we have to think of everyday Australians living with a disability, fighting for their rights. It wouldn't be right for me not to, to talk about that. So I think it's employment opportunities, NDIS, the medication, social housing, all of those things, I would love that to not be such a, a big thing. And the rate of people with disability incarcerated is huge. And I would like that to be all those figures to be different as well. That's the type of like my actual job has a lot to do with people. So it's for the jails, courthouses and um, juvenile. And I, I'd like to see some of those minority groups definitely not represented as much as, as what we see and just to normalise and to not have to fight as much for equality. That's what I would really love them to grow up with and um, just to be really normal. Absolutely. We will wrap it up there. Thank you so much for your time, Sarah. We've covered so much and I wish you all the best with your book, Thank ABC you. Disability. Yeah. Well, I'll be looking out for that. I'll be waiting for it to hit the uh, the iBook store, maybe a hardcover, see how we go. But um, yeah, thank you very much for your time and, and really, really appreciate you uh, being so open and honest and answering all the questions and, and being so willing to, to share with us all your answers. No worries. Thank you so much for having me and all the best, boys. Thanks for listening to this episode. We appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast, but most importantly, sharing it with people you think it will impact the most. Before we go, again, a massive thanks to our sponsor, the Sunco Spinners. The Sunco Spinners are a social wheelchair-based sporting club. They operate multiple programs for people of all ages and abilities in basketball, rugby, and more. Follow the Sunco Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, and find out more about them at suncospinners.com.au. 